Hello everyone, my name is Jolo Season from BPI Asset Management and Trust Corporation and welcome to another episode of Wealth Watchers. In the month of June, the Philippine peso breached the 55 to a dollar mark, raising alarm bells that local currency may be sliding too fast, making it the worst performer in the ASEAN region. For context, the last time that this happened was 17 years ago. Now, a lot of us are surely feeling the impact of the peso's plunge, gas prices, grocery prices, and other basic goods, and this surely feels a little bit more expensive right now. You might be wondering, what exactly is going on right now in the market? Why is the peso going on in a downward trend, and how long will this last? And more importantly, for our dollar holders, should you start converting your dollar to pesos to take advantage of this current exchange rate? We recently held a webinar to answer some of these questions. So let's tune in as BPI AMTC's credit officer, Francine Ferrer, sheds light on these questions. All right, so let's get the ball rolling, friends. Now, so first off, before we dive into our main topic for today, could you provide our viewers just a general overview of what's going on in the investment market? Sure thing. So let's start with our benchmark returns. On a year-to-date basis, so for the period ending June 30, local fixed income lost 5%, while global fixed income lost 8%. Equity benchmark indices have likewise posted negative returns, with global equities losing 15% and the Philippine Stock Exchange Index, or the PSEI, losing 14%. Note that the losses of global fixed income and equity benchmarks are in peso terms. This includes the depreciation of the peso, which reduced the overall dollar losses of 15% and 21% respectively. The Philippine peso has depreciated by around 7% against the U.S. dollar, with the exchange rate rising from 51 pesos per dollar at the start of the year to around 55 pesos per dollar by the end of June. So overall, returns were quite disappointing in the first half of 2022. And that seems very true, no friends, no? And perhaps all that we're seeing are negative returns across all the asset classes no um for the benefit of our newer viewers no could you explain what's being or at least what the main cost is regarding these negative returns year to date okay so the main drivers of the negative returns year to date include higher inflation tighter monetary policies and weaker economic growth expectations globally so i'll go through each factor briefly first mm -hmm. higher inflation the market has been pricing in higher inflation for the year because of the Russia-Ukraine war, which pushed commodity prices upwards, especially oil, which also impacts other goods. Oil prices have risen around 43% year-to-date, with the WTI crude oil prices at around the $106 per barrel level at the end of June. Moving forward, prices may continue to be elevated given that, first, uh, U.S. production is not foreseen to increase as quickly as needed to offset banned Russian oil. 
Second, inventory replenishment programs by countries that release crude reserves will still be implemented towards the tail end of the year. And lastly, on the demand side, despite high petroleum prices, demand re remains resilient as countries are still reopening. Actual inflation data in the past few months have been moving higher. Inflation in the U.S. accelerated from 7.5% in January to 8.6% in May. In the Philippines, inflation rose from 3% in January to 5.4% in May and then 6.1% in June. Higher inflation expectations caused central banks to act more aggressively in tightening their monetary policies. Uh, this is the second driver of year-to-date negative returns. One of the ways central banks can control inflation is by raising rates, the benchmark for other interest rates like bank borrowing or deposit rates. All right, so what does that mean for our current investments, friends? Well, higher prices mean increased costs and expenses for goods, as well as higher borrowing costs, um, both of which eat into companies' earnings or make it difficult for them to carry out their expansion or growth plans. So this could drive stock prices down and consequently their returns. So both for both U.S. Treasuries and Philippine government bonds, yields at all tenors as of June 30 are now above where they were at at the end of 2021. As of end June, U.S. Treasury yields across tenors averaged around 2.7% compared to just 1% as of the end of December uh, 2021. Meanwhile, Philippine government bond yields averaged around 5% compared to around 3.4% just six months ago. For fixed income, on one hand, higher yields mean negative mark-to-market returns as bond prices fall because today's yields are more attractive. For example, today, 10-year government bonds offer yields of around 7%, while just six months ago, the same tenor offered a yield of around 4.8%. On the positive flip side, investors now have the opportunity to lock in higher coupon rates if they hold these securities till they mature. All right. So, so far, no, we've covered the top two reasons. So this would be higher inflation and tighter monetary policies. Now, on to the third factor causing our investment negative returns. Now, what would this be? Well, that would be weaker growth expectations. So I mentioned earlier that central banks are forced to aggressively hike interest rates to fight soaring inflation. So, and this is causing recession fears. As of December 31, 2021, economists were expecting U.S. inflation to average 4.4%, but then as of June 30, they were looking at a much higher 7.5%. For the Philippines, economists were expecting 3.2% at the start of the year, then raised their forecasts to 4.6% as of latest. All right, friend. Oh, I did hear that the recent inflation data was reportedly at 6.1%. But economists are forecasting that this can go as high as 7.5%. So where does AMTC see inflation? Well, in BPI, we're actually forecasting inflation to average 5.2% this year. Okay, okay. So due to higher inflation and tighter monetary policies, economic growth expectations have declined in many countries like the U.S., from the forecasted 3.9% GDP growth at the start of the year, the median forecast is now down to 2.5%. Concerns over slowing economic growth 
caused companies to slash their earnings forecasts as the outlook turns grim. So this is causing the decline in global stock indices. Um, some positive news, though. You'll notice that the industry is forecasting a strong 7% GDP growth for the Philippines. At the moment, BBI's official GDP growth forecast is 6.7%. One of the benefits of lagging behind in terms of economic recovery is that we still have a lot of potential to grow. We're still experiencing the positive effects of the relaxation of quarantine restrictions. The downside risk to this, however, is if elevated inflation causes the population to become more selective in their spending. This would then be a drag to GDP growth as household consumption accounts for around 70% of GDP. So for now, Filipinos may be revenge spending or traveling, but rising prices would event could eventually slow these down or put an end to these. Okay, it's very interesting that you pointed that out, Franz. No, I'm very well sure that we've been all noticing how the summer season feels like. No, how it was even before before the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Everyone seems to be returning to the beach, traveling abroad, or even having their barcada hangouts like before. So, Franz, no, you were sharing something about our potential for growth, no, because of increased mobility. Yeah, that's right, Jolo. So despite higher prices today, given global problems on food shortages and oil and gas prices, surprisingly, mobility data looks good. With higher rates of vaccination and booster shots, Filipinos are more confident to go out and make up for the fun that they missed out on while they were under uh, lockdowns. And Philippine tourism is also recovering very well. All right, and thanks for the overview of the year-to-date returns, Franz. No? But could we zoom in a little closer to what's been happening recently in the Philippines? Sure. So for the month of June, the PSEI lost around 8% and the exchange rate reached 55 pesos to a dollar. So both, of develop both developments can be attributed to the narrowing policy rate differential between the U.S. and Philippine economies. Simply put, the gap between the Fed's policy rate and the BSP's policy rate is shrinking, given that the Fed is, has been more aggressive in implementing rate hikes compared to the BSP and other central banks. In June, the Fed raised its benchmark policy rate by 75 basis points to a range of 1.5% to 1.75%. This is the largest rate hike for a single meeting dating back to 1994 and reflects the central bank's firm commitment to bringing down inflation. Moreover, the Fed further raised its upper range forecast to 3.5% by year end. In contrast, in the same month, the BSP only raised its policy rate by 25 basis points to 2.5%. Also, the BSP maintained its relatively dovish stance and signaled a gradual pace of monetary policy tightening. Note that it makes sense for Philippine rates to have a premium over U.S. rates, given the difference in risk. However, as the Fed continues to aggressively raise rates and the BSP continues to be relatively more conservative, U.S. rates become more attractive. Based on BPI's forecast, the BSP policy rate is expected to end at 3.5% by year end, which would mean that it would be at parity with or equal to the Fed's projected upper range of 3.5% by year end. Um, data from CEIC shows that there's a likelihood the Fed's upper range may even go beyond this and reach 3.75%, giving it a premium over the local policy rate. Mm -hmm. So, France, now this contributed to the depreciation of the peso. 
That's right. As U.S. rates become more attractive, investors are shifting out of riskier assets that aren't compensating as attractively, like Philippine stocks and debt, and then flocking to the U.S. debt market. This boosts demand for the dollar, contributing to its strength and consequently to the weakness of the peso. Um, for better appreciation, let's do a deep dive discussion on the peso. On a year-to-date basis, the peso depreciated by around 7% to 55 pesos per dollar. Month-on-month, it depreciated around 5% in June, reflecting the market sentiment over the policy rate moves by the U.S. and Philippine central banks. This makes the Philippine peso the worst-performing ASEAN currency year-to-date and the third-worst-performer among Asian currencies. However, analysts are saying that the peso may soon overtake the South Korean won to become the second worst-performing Asian currency, second only to the Japanese yen, which has depreciated by 15.2%. Another factor contributing to the peso depreciating is a higher import bill as the economy recovers and businesses restock their inventories to cater to expected higher demand this year. After consecutive quarters of reducing inventories, businesses have increased inventory stocks by around $54 billion in the last two quarters for which we have data. Higher oil prices caused by the Russian-Ukraine war have also contributed to the higher import bill. Um, While we expect exports to grow this year, growth may be potentially muted amid increasing concerns over global growth. Consensus growth forecasts for the Philippines' major trading partners have been downgraded due to worries over the impact of elevated inflation, the Russia-Ukraine war, and tighter monetary policies globally. Potentially weaker exports would be another drag to our current account deficit and consequently to the peso as well. So what are really the implications of a weaker peso, France? Well, a weaker peso is expected to contribute to higher inflation because when imports become more expensive, the additional cost is transmitted to the prices of goods. Another thing that is a concern is the declining levels of gross international reserves or the dollar reserves of the government. These dollar reserves serve as a cover for the government's foreign exchange needs. As of May, the Philippines' dollar reserves have now fallen below our external debt level, meaning that we are currently a net debtor of dollars. We may need to borrow more dollars to finance our imports and make debt repayments. Okay, so now what's your outlook for the U.S. dollar to Philippine peso exchange rate rates? Moving forward, we're relatively bearish on the peso as we continue to expect the current account deficit to widen due to recovering demand, as well as the added impact of elevated oil and commodity prices. BBI is forecasting the dollar-peso exchange rate to end the year at 55.3. Now, okay, what would what could contribute to a recovery in the peso strength? Well, some factors that may provide some support to the peso are a shift in the BSP's relatively dovish stance, resilient OFW remittances, and record-high gross international reserves. Okay, and thanks for that, Franz. Now, since we've got a sort of good background on the outlook for the investment markets, I think now would be a good time now to move on to the questions. Now, Franz, here's our very first question now. Is a 60 peso to a dollar outlandish or is it possible given what's happening with the macroeconomic situation globally? That's a very good question. 
Um, while not impossible, it's highly unlikely that the peso will reach the 60 pesos to a dollar um, level this year. Based on estimates, it will entail oil prices going way over $120 per barrel or a recession in the near term. But it's still hard to see the exchange rate hitting uh, 60 pesos per dollar. Based on Bloomberg, the median of analysts' forecasts for the exchange rate is around 54 um, the highest forecast is around 57. At BPI, the forecast is for 56.8 for the adverse case scenario. Okay, now for our next question, Franz. No, so how high do you expect the US dollar could reach? Well, Bloomberg consensus forecasts show the median forecast for the DXY at around 104 or a high of around 109. Okay, so what about the impact of a stronger dollar versus peso in feeder fund and other peso-denominated investments? Well, the peso foreign exchange rate wouldn't really impact your peso-denominated investments, but it would affect your dollar-denominated investments. A stronger dollar or a weaker peso would essentially translate to higher unrealized peso returns for your dollar-denominated investments. It may appear as higher gains, because for each dollar you invested, you now get more pesos in return. All right. So now, how do we best manage current dollar holdings in cash, bond, and stock-constituted you know, funds? No? Um, does it make sense to partially convert to pesos? Mm -hmm. So we recommend keeping a diversified portfolio, so having dollar and peso investments. Converting dollar investments to peso at this time would depend on your need for the funds and your own investment goals. While it may be tempting to lock in the foreign exchange gains, investors would need to individually assess whether it would be aligned with their goals to do so. For example, if you don't need your funds right now, keeping your dollar investments means keeping the opportunity to grow these for the future when stock and fixed income returns recover. Today, stock prices are very low, so they present buying opportunities for when prices recover in the future. However, as it's not yet clear when stock indices would hit the bottom, we recommend investing small amounts on a regular basis to hedge against volatility in the markets. And as mentioned earlier as well, rising interest rates negatively impact market-to-market -market returns. But there is opportunity to invest in higher yields if you hold fixed income assets until maturity. All right. And I guess for our final question, uh, the peso depreciation is favorable to OFWs and could spike up remittance. Do you think this is enough to keep the Philippine economy afloat as it did in the past? Um, you're correct that the depreciation or weakening of the peso against the dollar is favorable to OFWs because OFWs will need to send back less dollars home to cover for their family's expenses or alternatively for the usual amount of dollars that they do send back, their families now have more to spend. While this can help, as discussed earlier, very high inflation levels could possibly offset this benefit as prices of the goods are much higher now. All right. And with that said, no, thank you very much, Fran, for answering our, all of our questions for today. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is actually Fran's last episode as she is off to pursue further studies abroad.
So allow me this opportunity to say thank you for sharing your knowledge, France, and the wisdom with us for the past year. No, uh, thank you, thank you very much. No, so truly for the last time, France. No, do you have any last words or words of encouragement for our investors? Thank you so much, Jalo. So um, to our investors, I'd like to say that although times may seem scary. Uh, we recommend staying invested and diversified and keeping an eye on the future and not just the present. Um, and thank you for showing so much love and interest to our regular episodes. And we can, and I hope that you can continue to show as much love as you have um, in the future. And thank you very much again, France. No, we wish you all the best and we will definitely, definitely miss you. So there you have it. We hope you tune in to our next episode here on Wealth Watchers as we continue to monitor the movements of the markets, watch out for the signs of recovery, and help you navigate these markets, especially during this volatile period. If you have any questions, send us an email at bpi underscore asset underscore management at bpi.com.ph. Again, my name is Jolo Season, and thanks for tuning in to Wealth Radio, Growing Wealth Made Easy. BPI Asset Management and Trust Corporation is regulated by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas. Yeah.